Verbally Effective with Ina Esco is an interview-style podcast that intersects art, culture, politics, and entertainment with a Memphis focus with producer Sana Marie. Each week, I'm joined by a featured guest with roots in Memphis. Verbally Effective delves into each guest's personal journey to uncover the incredible stories fueling their purpose the highs and lows of their pursuits, and how through their passion, they are moving the culture forward. Be sure to follow Verbally Effective and Ina Esco on Instagram. Also, download the Verbally Effective podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Don't forget to check out the website and submit to be a guest at verballyeffective.com. Hi, my name is Curtis Brayden with Brayden, Brayden, and Brayden Commercial Real Estate. And I'm hanging with Eno Esco with Verbally Effective. Hey, everybody, what's up? I'm Janine Gordon, your girl from WMC Action News 5 and Bluff City Life every weekday afternoon at 3. You know what I'm doing. I am hanging with my girl. Boy, we got a lot to catch up. Miss Eno Esco, Verbally Effective Podcast. You gotta love it. Hi, I'm Marvin Stockwell, and I'm verbally effective because I'm passionate about Memphis. I'm passionate about what's going on in our city and in our world. On my podcast, Champions of the Lost Causes, I interview people working on other cause-based work, and I see how it affects my own. I'm excited about what is going on in Memphis. Making the case for causes he believes in and collaborating with other people fuels Marvin Stockwell's passion for his hometown of Memphis. He's at his best when he's developing creative solutions and shaping public opinion using the full suite of modern tools, media relations, marketing, public speaking, branding, event development, social media, and grassroots advocacy. Marvin has worked at all points along the nonprofit spectrum from small to large. He co-founded two grassroots nonprofits, Coliseum Coalition and Friends of the Fairgrounds, and serves as spokesman for the wider movement to reactivate the Mid-South Coliseum and make the city's fairgrounds all it can be. Marvin's current work at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital has allowed him to use a more complete set of communications tools and expand his repertoire to include national and international media relations work. Marvin has a BA in journalism from the University of Memphis, is a past board member and director of the Public Relations Society of America, Memphis Chapter. He has also served on several nonprofit boards and committees, advised many nonprofits on their communication strategies, and taught a Publicity 101 class through the University of Memphis and Momentum Nonprofit Partners. Verbally Effective, your double E, Ina Esco here. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to episode 140 of the Verbally Effective podcast. I'm your host, Ina Esco, and today I got one of my good friends with me. He is a PR professional. He works over there at St. Jude, and he has his own podcast called Champions of Lost Causes. He is an advocate for the Coliseum. I have with me today Marvin Stockwell. How are you, Marvin? I'm doing pretty good, Ina. Thanks so much for having me on. 
thank you for, you know, getting on this Zoom while you're doing a little vacay with the family, right? Yeah, I am. We're we're out in the in the the, the forest of North Carolina taking really? a fall break trip uh, as a family, and it's a it's a great uh, recharge so that we can then dive back into school and work. Yes, because you know we've all been stuck in the house with the pandemic, and you know how is for that going for you? Oh, I know you needed that break. <laughs> <laughs> I really did. Yeah, no, the pandemic has been a, a stressor on, on all of us. Um, and just, you mentioned St. Jude, I'll just touch on it uh, briefly. In my role as media relations director at the hospital, uh, obviously one of the things that the media has been most interested in is St. Jude's work on uh, infectious diseases. Mm-hmm. Um, before I went to work to, for St. Jude about three years ago, I didn't even know that St. Jude did flu research, for instance. I, I thought, like most people, you know, you think of cancer when you think of St. Jude, yeah. pediatric cancer. <laughs> but, excuse me, but yeah, St. Jude is uh, one of the only two U.S.-based WHO collaborating centers for flu research. Mm-hmm. So we have some really uh, fantastic virologists who know all about infectious diseases, thank goodness. So a lot of our, our work on the media relations team has been <clears throat> getting our virologists, uh, both doctors and researchers, um, set up with interviews from the New York Times and the, the Wall Street Journal wow. down to the, the trade publications. It's, it's been pretty nonstop. And, yeah. and thankfully, St. Jude has a really, really deep bench of infectious diseases experts. And we're able to, to kind of uh, really inform the global conversation. Yeah. So you guys are pretty much kind of on the forefront of what's going on with COVID, right? Uh, we are. I mean, it's important to note that COVID is a new disease. So all of our infectious diseases doctors are, are, are click, quick to point out that their expertise is in other uh, um, infectious diseases that have been around longer. But yes, there are absolutely uh, corollaries you can draw. Uh, how the immune f- system uh, responds to an infectious disease is something that's been observed in influenza, for instance. Yeah. Uh, and you can that can help inform you about how, what, how it might likely be uh, in terms of COVID-19. Right. It's been an and interesting ride. <laughs> I know it is. And you know what, with you being a PR professional and now, you know, you're heading um, that particular um, organization mm-hmm. at St. Jude, did you have to have some type of medical background or how did that work? No, uh, my, my degree is actually in journalism uh, from the University of Memphis. And I was a, a newspaper reporter uh, and, and columnist and section editor for a few years. And when I moved home to Memphis, there weren't any journalism jobs to be had. So I, I, I thought to myself, well, public relations is really the flip side of the journalism coin where you're being a, an advocate for a particular thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm a values-driven person. And I thought uh, I'd, I'd be moving from unbiased finder of fact to advocate. And so if I thought to myself, if I'm going to do that, it has to be something that my heart can really get behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was fortunate enough, in, to, my previous job was at uh, Church Health, uh, faith-based uh, charity that provides affordable health care to uninsured working people and their families. Also a fantastic mission, St. Jude, great mission. So I've been really fortunate to find um, mission-driven nonprofit PR assignments that really fit my uh, values. Right. Yeah. Right. So Marvin, we're going to back up a bit and kind of dig into like the beginning of your journey. What part of Memphis are you from originally? Sure. I grew up in East Memphis uh, over there, Summer and White Station uh, and went to St. Michael grade school. 
and um, and then I went to to CBHS against my will, I might add. <laughs> Why uh, do you say that? <laughs> well, who wants to, if you're who wants to go to an all guys high school? That sounds like oh, a terrible wow. idea. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, but but uh, but it, it was it was good for me in a lot of ways. G- great education for sure. Uh, yeah, and then I went to uh, the University of Memphis for for college, and I met my wife my junior year. And um, she and I just just celebrated uh, our 25th anniversary. We got three wow. kids. Congratulations! Uh, thank you so much. 17, 13, and 10. So it's a wow. It's it's it's, it's a full life, yeah. But uh, but lifelong Memphian. Spent a few years up in Illinois while my wife went to graduate school. Okay. Um, traveled for years uh, in uh, my band Pez. Uh, so we're the like. Uh, aging punk rock band that that doesn't quite know how to hang it up uh put wow. out you know five five albums and uh toured wow. the u.s a dozen times and toured canada twice and toured europe once okay um, are you the singer in the group or did you play an instrument or both i did both i i, I played uh, guitar and sing and it, we're we're still a band but we're, we're not very active because you know we're older. We have other things going on in our lives, so it no longer makes sense for for me to to to, to live in a tour van and, and sleep on floors from coast to coast. <laughs> oh wow! But that is an interesting fact, Marvin. I didn't know that yeah. about you. Okay, look. I'm yeah, it's sing it's on my bio in there somewhere, but but uh, <laughs> yeah, I probably need to highlight it. Sing a little something for me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no. Thir- Thirty years in a, in a, in, a, in a big two guitar, loud two guitar uh, rock band is. It's been a lot of fun, but I mean it. And, and honestly, you know, being in a DIY punk band, it teaches you a certain degree of uh, thriftiness and uh, economy and reliance on your bandmates, etc. That does serve you well going into nonprofit PR. You just learned. It helps you learn how to make something out of nothing. Yeah. You know, which the, when you're in nonprofit. Um, <clears throat> you often have to, to really economize uh, and find ways to do something when there was no budget for that, you know, yeah. so yeah. it prepared me well. Gotcha. Now let's back up a little bit again. Um, uh-huh. You know, growing up in East Memphis, you said you attended CBHS. Now, mm-hmm. what type of activities were you involved in back then? Because I'm sure some of those things shaped who you are today. What were you active in? What were you passionate yeah. about back then? You know, I'd say I was really kind of um, a late bloomer, I guess you'd say, you know, uh, I, I really, I was not, I was not really proactive about my life. I kind of just, um, in high school, I, I kind of did the, the, the bare minimum. I was, I was one of those kids that would get at the lecture to say, you know, you're, you're doing really well on these standardized tests. You should be doing really great in school. Uh, <laughs> but I was just kind of doing average in school uh, and I just wasn't properly motivated and <clears throat> it really took um, being out on the road uh, seeing uh, the country and seeing other countries that really kind of expanded my worldview really yeah. um, I kind of got I went and got my journalism degree and then kind of promptly did nothing with it for 10 years which I know is like kind of a, a strange career trajectory but you know when we got um when we had the offer um, late '90s to 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 get signed to a uh, a decent sized independent out of Los Angeles, it, you know, we we thought, well, let's really make a run at this. Let's not just dabble at this. Let's let's really tour and see if we can sell the records. And you know, you get uh, people working publicity for you. You get a booking agent. You do all that stuff. And 
even though that didn't pan out and, and honestly very very few people who are in, you know in a band and end up making a really healthy living out of it yeah. but i do think it taught me um about the variety of what's out there yeah. uh and, and um what it takes um in a creative effort mm-hmm. um the, the other thing that, that was the kind of great compliment to that was the few years that i spent uh, as a reporter in rural rural illinois and that if touring gave me a great uh at a glance um you know new city every day you know you mm-hmm. see the broad expanse of the world and the variety of experience um being rooted in a community a small town community a rural illinois community and covering their courts their city uh, government and village board uh, and their schools and their school athletics and doing feature stories. That allowed me to really, I I, I like to call it my crash course in middle America. Uh, And so that really showed me a different slice of America really. Um, And both those two things kind of as bookends kind of grounded me. And then when I moved home to Memphis uh, and started working at church health, that's when I really was forced to make a values um, decision. Who am I and what am I really about? And I thought to myself, I want to put my heart behind uh, a, a mission that's helping people. Yeah. And, and I guess that's really the, the was the advent of, of my, my true career and my vocation, if you will. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So that's amazing. Um, all of the things that you've been through to get you here today. And I understand like being on tour, you know, going to different cities and countries mm-hmm. can expose you to so much, you know, right. Even right. while working uh, over there in rural Illinois, I know that when you came back home to Memphis, I'm sure there was a big adjustment you had to go through. Like, you know, what are some of the like obvious, um, I guess you would say differences between uh, when you were in Illinois and then when you immediately got back to Memphis? Mm-hmm. Like what was going on yeah. in your life? Well, I, I get, that's a great question. Um, I would think, well, two things. First off, uh, I had become a, f- a father for the first time. So Sarah and I had our daughter Genevieve, who's now on the doorstep of being seventeen. And but she was, yes. so we had a baby. And of course, that'll 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 change your life, right? Yeah. So uh, the impetus to being nearer to family was, you know, Sarah had gotten her master's degree, and so you know, you all all of a sudden it becomes really apparent. Like, why are we in Illinois when we have a brand new baby that you know we want to be formed by her grandparents who are back in Tennessee. Uh, Sarah's folks are, are, are in uh, Middle Tennessee. And so the, the, the drive to come home was really obvious. We had, we had what we came up here to, to get. Um, and, uh, and we had a, a child. We wanted to be closer to family. So adjusting to being a dad was one thing. But the other thing that, that, that also really um, uh, shaped me and, and what I wanted to go out and do and probably led to my civic activism and the Coliseum work and Champions of the Lost Causes was really, I came home to Memphis and I saw progress that yeah. I'd never seen before. And, and I'm sure that progress has been going on on all sorts of fronts for a long time. But back in 2004, you know, like, so while I was gone, 2001 to 2004, uh, FedEx Forum got built, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's, a, that's a big thing. And I think that Memphis has been on a, um, uh, an upward uh, trend ever since it's 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 been fits and starts 
Um, it, it, it's not, uh, it, it's certainly not perfect, but I mean, things are happening in Memphis. You look at Crosstown Concourse mm -hmm. and Claiborne Temple and um, just the growth of South Main, the growth, the, the continued growth in Cooper Young, the, the, the burgeoning stuff that's bubbling up uh, in, in, in Orange Mound. Yes. Um, and of course that directly tethers to, in South Memphis, uh, and that directly tethers to my project on the Coliseum because the Coliseum having a second act really matters to uh, our, our neighbors in, in, in Orange Mound. That's, they've said that time and time again to all of our different yep. stakeholder input processes. Um, but so when I came home to Memphis, I saw, I also had, having been gone, helped me see Memphis with fresh eyes. Mm -hmm. uh, and I saw opportunities where I didn't see them before. And I also saw a forward momentum. Yeah. And so for a values driven person who's, who's a Memphis homer, who loved, I, I guess I, I kind of fell back in love with Memphis in a way I maybe never had. Yeah. Uh, because when you've never left Memphis that, you know, the, the, the people say, oh gosh, you know, people get down on Memphis for what it doesn't have. Uh, and I just spent three years living in Illinois uh, and it was, it was a time well spent. But, you know, when I came home to Memphis, and kind of saw Memphis with fresh eyes with a with a renewed kind of mental and emotional palette. Mm -hmm. I was just like, oh wow, you know, my hometown's, you know, like moving and, and getting yes. stuff done. <laughs> and then you, you look at the advent of, 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 of bike lanes and and, and uh, uh, adaptive reuse of, of old historic buildings. Um, and, and I really saw I saw movement and I and I wanted to get involved in that. And at first it was enough for me to just work at church health, be a dad. Uh, I, that's when I became a regular exerciser, started taking my own health uh, more seriously, um, learned to eat better, uh, exercise, lost, you know, 40 pounds. Um, and it, it, then I started kind of getting more civically involved, serving on boards and committees, um, going through Leadership Memphis, mm -hmm. and, you know, really getting actively involved at figuring out what's really going in, on in Memphis and how can I get plugged in. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, ar around along 2015, there was a plan to, um, uh, for the fairgrounds redevelopment that called for the Coliseum's demolition. Yeah. And a lot of us kind of recoiled in horror and thought, they wouldn't do that, would they? And I, my friend uh, Mike McCarthy, the original president of the Coliseum Coalition, which I helped co-found, um, you know, he was he, he was like, oh, well, read read the paper, man, it's happening. You know, it's it looks like a looks like people with you know, old stale ideas and and greed. You've got developers in the wings just ready to build something new, and they just see dollar signs. Whether or not that was actually really what was going on or not, but there was a I'm not sure, but there was a plan in place. And we, uh, the Coliseum Coalition, I guess what you'd say is, uh, was a, a small nonprofit, grassroots nonprofit that kind of like, we had to build the plane and the runway all at the same time and get right. the sucker in the air because there was a real urgency. There was a, a plan afoot. Um, we ended up turning back that plan um, by essentially throwing a monkey wrench in, in, in Robert Lipscomb's plan. Uh, the, the tourism development zone law requires that 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 local government be supportive of your plan mm -hmm. and the city council had already voted in favor of the plan and it was on the county commission's uh, agenda okay 
we, uh, restaurateur Taylor Berger and I, um, uh, he didn't like the TDZ for different reasons. He wasn't so much passionate about the Coliseum, but he didn't like the TDZ, thought it was wasteful spending. And so he and I put on a thing called Fairgrounds Forum, early 2015. And we got um, a county commissioner, Reginald Milton, a Democrat, uh, and Mark Billingsley, uh, a Republican, to uh, be among the speakers that night. And both of them had different reasons to, ha to have some, some, you know, some reason to say, hey, hold on here. I'm not sure about this planned redevelopment for the fairgrounds. Mm-hmm. And it was just enough doubt, and it wasn't just them as speakers, other people spoke passionately as well. But at the end of the night, or at the end of the day, um, the county commission had just enough doubt in their mind about, we need more information. Right. So they took it off their agenda. And then, it, and I mean, and they never, they never ended up voting on it. And that's when we started working really directly with um, uh, Director Lipscomb. And uh, he and I got along famously well, uh, but we then got into kind of a campaign of ideas. And we had the very first Roundhouse Revival in May of 2015. And then that was followed up by a, a, uh, a panel of ex-mayors from the Urban Land Institute, summer of 2015, that came in and did a thorough assessment of the, uh, the, the land and the building and everything, mm -hmm. and, and issued a set of recommendations. And one of the recommendations was not to bulldoze the Coliseum, but instead to find a way to reactivate it or repurpose it uh, and feature it as an historic anchor. Uh, after all, it's a sister building built at the same time the Liberty Bowl was. Yeah. So when you, and, and, the, and the Roundhouse Revival, where we had music, wrestling, and basketball outside the Coliseum, we drew a crowd of about 4,500 people, which really blew us all away because we were hoping to get like 1,500. <clears throat> but when 4,500 people showed up uh, saying, you know, they love the Coliseum, they missed the Coliseum, uh, and then the Urban Land Institute, you know, said that they didn't, they didn't think we, the Coliseum should be bulldozed, you started to see public sentiment about the Coliseum really change yeah. uh, in 2015. And that's not just my opinion, that was reflected in public opinion polls. So. Um, pretty quickly, the public, you know, rallied behind the Coliseum, I guess you would, you would say. And we've really just been, I mean, I could go into more detail, but just suffice it to say, we've been at it ever since, you know, in 2016, uh, preservationist architect, um, Chooch Pickard, who's our vice president, Coliseum Coalition vice president, he did a third assessment of the building showed that the building was in excellent shape. Mm -hmm. um, and then the city, after changing administrations from the Wharton administration to the Strickland administration, uh, Mayor Strickland said, well, I want to take another run at submitting the tourism development zone uh, to Nashville to get all those sales tax. Okay, we're back. Oh. So, so really, we, we've developed a great re working rapport with um, um, the housing and community development team uh, of Mayor Strickland's, uh, Paul Young, Mary Claire Boris, and uh, Lindsey Jackson. We, um, so Mayor Strickland wanted to take another run at the TDZ, because that's necessary lead funding, so to speak, uh, to, to redevelop the fairgrounds. And so that, that housing, and develop, uh, housing and community development team of Paul Young's put together a proposal um, which included uh, the Coliseum. So uh, a lot of people say, save the Coliseum. I would argue that it has been saved. Um, there is a part in the 
in the Tourism Development Zone application, which got approved in Nashville unanimously in November of 2018 that says, um, the, this plan differs from past plans in the following ways. And one of those bullet points is the Coliseum is preserved and not demolished. The Coliseum and other buildings are, are preserved and not demolished. So we have it on good authority that um, some of those state building commissioners said, frankly, we'd be more apt to vote for this if we knew that the Coliseum was going to be preserved. Um, so it got built into the plan. So does that does that provision protect it forever? No, but I think it's a clear sign that the city has changed its opinion uh, on the Coliseum. And now we've been, for the last three years, we've been giving uh, VIP tours to potential investors uh, with the cooperation of the city. So you have to say, why would the city cooperate with us and do that? Uh, beyond just having developing a personal rapport with that team, uh, I think the city wants the same thing those of us in the grassroots want. And that is, we all know that third party investment is gonna be necessary to reopen the Coliseum. And that I think is the, is the missing ingredient. Um, the, the city did its own assessment of the Coliseum and, and, and hired the firm of Allen and Hoschel. And the Allen and Hoschel team also found that the building was in excellent shape. So that's no longer a, a, a question. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's an excellent building that everybody loves. Uh, and I think increasingly people are uh, more than open to the fact that uh, it can have a second life. Now, what the exact mix of uses are and event types and fixed uses, that I think is up for us to, to determine. If you look at the Crosstown Concourse example, that was a seven year journey uh, from, gosh, what do you think it could be? to they were still, because I worked at Church Health and was, was one of the early tenants in that building, I know um, that they, uh, the mix of use types and who was going to be in what square footage was being adjusted to the very end. Mm. So just because we don't know what use types would fill the Coliseum, I don't think that needs to prevent us from dreaming big as a city. Yeah. Uh, and increasingly, we are having uh, developers and investors come kick the tires of the Coliseum. And now that the rest of the fairgrounds is being redeveloped, I think that's going to be the missing piece. A lot of developers, you know, they'll, they'll walk through it and they'll be like, gosh, this is cool. And, and it's in way better shape than I thought. Mm -hmm. My mind kind of runs away with me as to what we could do with this. But the reason they pause is they want to know what's going to happen with the rest of the land parcel. But see, now that's starting to come into, into clearer view. So I think it's going to be easier for an investor or, or group of investors uh, to walk up to the Coliseum and, and see it within, within a, a broader context with the youth sports building, shovels going in the ground next spring. Um, so I think the highest and best use of the Coliseum is, is a, you know, a mixed-use facility once as it once was, yeah. uh, made ADA compliant and, and kind of modernized. Yeah. Uh, but I think it can sit in well with youth sports, I think it can sit in well with the other uses going on the site and that are already on the site. So we'll do, we're just gonna stay at it uh, yeah. and, and continue <laughs> to work with the city. Uh, we're, the city has also uh, said they're committed to uh, having us hold pop-up events inside the Coliseum uh, once we get it sufficiently cleaned. Uh, and so we're working behind the scenes with them to, to get that done.
Wow, this is amazing. Like all of the work that you dedicated to, you know, seeing the Coliseum remain not being, you know, demolished, right? And you you mentioned something uh, when you started uh, about how important uh, the Coliseum is to the Orange Mound community. I know these Mm -hmm. people have been around this area and have frequented the, the Coliseum for all of their oh, lives. Right. Like I've been to the Coliseum for a number of events, you know, when I moved to Memphis. So uh-huh. I think it's really important the work that you're doing. And I know oh, uh, the work that you're doing, uh, you know, started you to get into podcasting with uh-huh. Champion of Lost Causes. So tell yeah. us about your podcast and sure format and um you know just where are you taking your podcast champion of lost causes yeah so champions of the lost causes is um really grew out of my my curiosity about why people work on really hard multifaceted civic causes you know like uh when i passed the four-year mark i'm now about six years in on working up but when i passed the four-year mark I thought to myself, hmm, four years. I've been at this for four years. Um, You know, what else takes four years? And you start to think, well, a college degree takes four years. And you just realize that's a block of time, right? Like, what, what, how do you explain the fire in the gut? You know, why do, why do I, and why do the other people in the Coliseum Coalition Board, and why do all these other people work on this cause? Why do people work on other causes? You know, why is my friend, uh, Brittany Thornton, working her tail off to, to create a, a small business incubator uh, in Orange Mound. Mm. You know, uh, uh, wh- why did people in, in, uh, back in the 60s uh, uh, per- say no, the, the, the interstate shouldn't go through Overton Park and fight it all the way to the Supreme Court? What gives people that fire in the gut to work at a cause that most people um, say, you're crazy to try that? You're wasting your time. It's a lost cause. We literally had people pull us aside. I had a good friend of mine. I won't name this person, uh, but they were being a good friend to me. And they pulled me aside and they were like, Marvin, Marvin, Marvin. Hey, man, come over here, man. <laughs> like, hey, man, look, hey, I love it. You're for Memphis. It's it's beautiful, man. Don't get me right. wrong. But <laughs> you need to understand that that Robert Lipscomb is going to do what he wants. He's a very powerful guy. He has all the favors to call in with the city council. And, uh, you, you know, you just need to be careful. You need to think about yourself and your future. You're, you're an up and coming like PR guy and, you know, civically plugged in kind of guy. But, um, you know, you need to start thinking about yourself. You, you know, this, why ruin your reputation uh, to pursue something that's just no way you can win. This is going to happen. And y'all need to get out of the way or you're going to get run over. Uh, I, uh, that talking to only, uh, you know, kind of deepened my resolve to stay at it. Um, and I think some of these things that we think are immovable or impossible, they're not impossible. They're not immovable. They're not a foregone conclusion. Um, it just takes people willing to put in the work, but they, you know, uh, the people who redeveloped Sears Crosstown into Crosstown Concourse, you, you want to talk about Mission Impossible. Um, <laughs> I, I just think there are lots of Mission Impossibles, and Memphis is starting to rattle off a number of those to where you can see a, a, a momentum. You can see a trajectory of success such that now I think Memphians' expectations are that 
an adaptive reuse solution is possible. Yeah. Uh, there are enough there are enough wins in our kind of litany of wins that are giving everyone confidence. Uh, now people, we've gone from you guys are crazy. The Coliseum is doomed. You'll never. It's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. To we saved it. To it's in the city's plan. And now when we start to talk to people about the Coliseum, an interesting thing happened a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago. People immediately jumped to, yeah, when is that going to open? That's their expectation now. And the expectation at the outset was you're a fool to think that you could ever save it. And now the expectation that when people walk up to it fresh to the idea, they're just like, especially young people, people think, oh, the people who love the Coliseum are the people old enough to have been to have gone there. No, no. Some of the biggest fans of the Coliseum are, are people in their 20s. Yes. We've, we've done two community cleanups and some of our uh, some of the people who signed up just because they saw it floating around in social media um, who came uh, and, and we've done interviews with a, a, a kind of local kind of like arts quarterly magazine, which is a bunch of 20 somethings. And they're, they're all blown away. Why? Because because the Coliseum is is, is authentic. You know, it's got not only this history, but it's got it's got great bones and it's got that great mid-century modern architecture that people are just like, oh, my God, this yeah, place is awesome. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just what gave rise to my 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 podcast and me writing this book that I'm now, you know, 85,000 words into of the same name is I started thinking, what is that group of people? And I started to think of it really kind of it's kind of like a work team, like you'd have at any job, but of course nobody's getting paid. So what's the motivation? Mm -hmm. Um, And I started thinking, well, if that's kind of like a work group, what would you call that job? And my first formulation of thinking about this, I said, well, that person is really the CEO of the thing that everybody knows needs to be done, but nobody's doing. And I thought, well, that's too long. Uh, And not everybody's the CEO, you know, you got different levels of involvement. Uh, but th- and then one day I, I, I just came up with champions of the lost causes because really, regardless of level of involvement, if you choose to champion a cause, you're a champion. Uh, and I like to say the lost causes aren't lost because we found them. That's mm-hmm. kind of the, the, the kind of, I guess, marketing hook. I of, like it. Of I, the like show. it. I like it. <laughs> you know, because they're not lost. I mean, w- when we find a cause and choose to champion it, it's no longer lost. And so the Coliseum cause is no longer lost. Uh, the cause for Overton Park is now no longer lost. It's, it, it's, it, it, it was found and successfully completed, and now it's just called Overton Park. And we all, you know, it's, it's, it's a great park right in the center of our city. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't, Sears Crosstown is no longer a, 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 an eyesore over in the Crosstown area of town, which was, you know, depleted. Uh, it's a thriving vertical urban village yes, uh, with all those retail bays around it full of activity. Um, so I, I guess I just, I got fascinated with why people work on that. Now, certainly some of it's altruism. We want to make our community a better place. Some of it is uh, we want to show the world that nothing's impossible. We want to show that we have deeper gears that maybe weren't recognized in our traditional working life. So I've been kind of ruminating on all that, but I think the book that I'm writing, what I've, what I've come to learn and, 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 and my editor is really focusing me on, she said, you know, 
what are you solving for the reader? Who is your ideal reader and what do you, what, what would you want to solve for that person reading your book? And really it's the per, my ideal reader is the person who is in the shallow end of civic involvement. You know, they're, 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 they're on the rotary, you know, the rotary club, they're, you know, doing some, some <laughs> stuff at their church and there's, I'm not putting that down, right? That is, that is great, great work. But I know looking back on myself, I was so hungering for a, a meteor project that would bring out the best in me working alongside others, working their hardest, bringing out their best. And I think the ideal reader of the book is someone who is, like I said, in the shallow end of the pool, so to speak, of civic involvement, and they're hungering to do more. They're hungering to give their all. The podcast uh, version of this is where I interview people championing other causes mm -hmm. uh, so that I can get a lens on what drives other people. And what's interesting is I find a common thread of uh, passion uh, and, and a common set of motivations. Uh, but I also see how that manifests itself differently. And that, that fascinates me. Yes. It fascinates me just to hear how other people have, 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 uh, have, have worked on their projects, but it also helps me see my own work uh, in a different light. So it's been a great, it's been a, a really fun journey hearing other people's stories yes. uh, of success and then realizing, oh man, you're just like me. Like we're, we're very, we're very similar. Oh, you feel that way too. Oh, you love Memphis too. Yes. Um, it's, it, it's, it's been a, a broad encouragement too. Like when I, when I, when I finish a podcast episode, I'm ready to just like do anything. Cause it's like, I know. I, I'm so, my <laughs> cup of encouragement is just so filled up. Does the same thing happen to you? Yes, it does. Yes. With your podcast. Yeah. It does. I just, I'm filled up to the brim, you know, like, even this conversation with you, I'm talking about my own stuff. Like my, my family's just about to be like, all right, it's time to drive down the Blue Ridge Parkway. And I'm going to be like, all right, family, we're doing this. You know? Yes. But you know what? You can tell that you're so passionate about what you do. And um, really these podcasts, it, it just really exposes how we all are kind of like on a similar journey because things that yeah. people say to you on these interviews are so relatable and you're like, Oh, yeah. I like that too. And I did that yeah. too. Or I understand. Yeah. So I, I definitely understand Marvin. Now, when is the book going to be finished? When can we get this book? That's a great question. And I wish I were closer to like, the finish line, so to speak. I, you know, I've never written a book, uh, but, and I'm, 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 I'm working with an editor. I'm, I've got a, a a book launch, you know, coach that's coaching me on how to set up the 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 the, the kind of marketing funnel for everything and develop an email list. So, um, so right now I, I'm doing a a blog uh, at just championsofthelostcauses.org, and my podcast is part of the OAM network, a local podcast network. Mm -hmm. um, so if you go to the OAM network it's, and just on the drop down, it's there. Um, or I'm sure you can just find it with a Google search, but the book is, um, I'm, yeah, I would hope, I, I would like to think that the book will come out sometime into 2021 or early 2022. Gotcha. Uh, I, again, I've never done anything like this before. I feel like I've written most, I, I, I feel like I've gotten most of the clay on the spindle and I'm making air quotes here, all of the clay on the spindle, so to speak, but I've just got to, I've got to hone it into that great, you know, ceramic pot. <laughs> Gotcha. So to speak. Gotcha. Um, 
Well, we'll so be I'm not sure, it. but but it's 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 coming along. Yes, yes. Now, Marvin, tell us something about yourself. Like we understand that you're very passionate about your civic involvement, the Coliseum. Tell us something that we don't know about Marvin Stockwell that maybe someone is like, you know, really, I didn't know that, Marvin. <laughs> oh well, gosh. Um, uh, I guess. Uh, the big surprise a lot of times is is the uh being in in, in pez the band yeah, yeah. uh because people say oh you're such a mild-mannered like you know guy i can't imagine you screaming your head off in a punk rock band i want to see that i want to see yeah. a video or something marvin we we, we did two <laughs> videos I'll, I'll send you the link and you can you can decide whether or not you want to post it as bonus content yes. uh, but yeah yeah no we we did two music videos um and uh, so I'll send those along. But yeah, I think actually, when we to understand what it does in my life uh, to be in a band, it, 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 then people are like, ah, I get it. Because if you're if you're passionate, I mean, as an artist, I also want to um, distill down what I'm learning and 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 render it as art. And, and so that's where songwriting comes in, lyric writing. Uh, and then passionate delivery of the of the the songs. You know, we're we're one of those bands that, um, you know, we play a nine ten song set in thirty minutes, and you know, we're absolutely drenched. You know, yeah. it's really high energy uh, music, and that's good for me. It's 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 a quite frankly, it's an aerobic workout. Uh, it is. Um, it's how I express myself, uh, but quite frankly, you know, it's it's also just a great uh, counterbalance to the life that I need to live as a tactful public relations professional, working in a in in a uh, uh, a nonprofit setting, being a, to be a decent husband and father, and and uh, it's a great it's a great outlet for uh, not only expression but exertion. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's good. It's good and therapeutic for dad to occasionally, you know, go to band practice and, and yell his head off. Yes. What, <laughs> what, do you, what do your kids think about uh, you being in a band formally? Like you're still in a band though, but what do you I am still about? in a band, but uh, we've been really inactive, especially with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got, we've got uh, a session from 2009 and a session from 2014 that never kind of got finished, but so they're, they're kind of stuck in pro tool hell. Um, <laughs> but you know, we're, we're just slowly but surely cutting the, 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 Oh, there's that, we need one more backup vocal on this song. And then like, don't you still need to play a guitar lead on this? You know, we're, they're all but done. We really just need to mix them and master them and, and post them to uh, Spotify. Gotcha. Uh, but um I'd say, you know, the, the, the kids think it's interesting. Um, they haven't seen me play much guitar lately. Uh, and it's almost like, like I broke out the acoustic guitar a few weeks ago and my son Cormac who's 10. Uh, he's like, Oh yeah, you do that. And I'm like, yeah, you know, occasionally I do this. I don't, I don't have a lot of, um, bandwidth for it right now, yeah. but you know, uh, recently Pez celebrated its 30th anniversary and we put out our third music video. Thank you. Third music video for, for that. We, we polished up and finished one of those songs from 2014 um, called We're Not Alone. Uh, and uh, we felt it was like a really, the lyrics fit well for the time, you know, being shut in and the pandemic and then, and then also the, just the, um, the, the 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 national discussion and and pro and protesting around uh, George Floyd's death, we just thought 
as a band, we were sitting on this song called We're Not Alone, and it's all about rallying together and not accepting the status quo uh, and, and working for change. And we thought, gosh, we should polish up that song. It's all but done. Let's just mix it, master it, and put up, you know, a 30-year – it's a – our bass player, Christian Walker, who's also a dynamite uh, filmmaker uh, and director and actor, he um, found all these old videotapes and he just, he took in one of those places where you can get them all converted to digital. And he just culled back through all these old performances, us, you know, playing in Europe and, and just us playing some, you know, house show and back in 2006 or something. And he just put together this kind of retrospective uh, video set to that, that song uh, that showed us all the way back to like me like age 19 just looking like a baby oh so. <laughs> yes. the memories huh <laughs> yeah yeah no I'm like oh wow yeah I forgot about that, yes that. you remember those days wow well Marvin I have thoroughly enjoyed you today and you know we are thank you so much we are on the brink of a huge presidential election right um yeah and it's so important for people to get out and vote in November. Um, could you say a few words and speak mm -hmm. to the importance of this upcoming election and voting? Yeah, um, you know, and this does tie to my civic work. I, I had done public relations work for Church Health and St. Jude. Uh, and then, but doing the, doing the media relations and being the, doing the spokesman work for the Coliseum work, uh, for the Coliseum Coalition was new because I was dealing with political actors for the first time. Uh, it was it was an important part of our strategy to get office seekers and office holders uh, to come tour the Coliseum. Um, so uh, like so, I see people like, "What do you know about Tory Harris?" And I'm like, "I know Tory Harris because he came and toured the Coliseum." You know, like I talked to Tory Tory Harris in person. You know. I have gotten to know uh, local politicians and office seekers. Um, and, and the beautiful thing about the Coliseum, and this, this doesn't happen with many things, or a, a lot of things these days especially, is that there are Republicans and Democrats who all love the Coliseum. Mm -hmm. You know, it's this unifying place, this kind of common denominator uh, place that brought everyone together. And so, that unity, even though it's been closed in two, since 2007, is still there mm -hmm. uh, in the way that people still love it and still advocate for it and still agree uh, that they love it. I mean, that that state building commission in, in, in Nashville probably was a largely a, a, a Republican focused group, you know, and they um, they they voted for it unanimously. So I say all that to say this. Um, I, w I have never, before I, I got more civically involved with the Coliseum work, I never truly appreciated how important uh, local politics is. Uh, District 4 Councilwoman Jamita Swearingen has been a fantastic ally. Reginald Milton, County Commissioner, uh, fantastic ally of, of, of the Coliseum. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, you know, recently there was this rash of, of, of window breaks with the, at the Coliseum. And um, we we made uh, Jamita uh, Swearingen uh, aware of it, and the councilwoman, you know, placed a few calls and got got the the windows boarded up. Now we're working with her and with the city on a possible mural project, working with a uh, muralist Gerard Harris uh, uh, to to think about a a mural project for for the Coliseum in the in the near term. 
um, to show that that there's activity there, that there's intentionality there, that there's a plan there, that there's love there. And so one of the variables that it, that comes into play is the political sphere. Mm-hmm. So you, I think a lot of times politics gets painted with this broad brush that's like, oh, it's just a Republican Democrat kind of duality. Uh, but there's plenty of nuance, especially on the local and uh, county and, and regional and state level. Yes. Uh, it's not, it, it, you know, t- TV kind of mocks up this kind of uh, good versus evil kind of debate. It's, it's great for ratings and stuff, but it's just like, especially on the local level, you, you can, and the beautiful thing about local politics is that you can actually meet these people and you can actually talk to them, you know, like, I don't stand much of a chance at at at, at talking to uh, the 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 president or you know the, these these right. I, I should say Steve Cohen is also a, a supporter and a, and a help uh, where the Coliseum and he's he's a national leader but I'm just saying national leaders are more remote they're harder to get access to yes. um, so the political realm you have to take seriously. Um, so it, it is important to vote. And, and, and what's great is uh, the last few times I've voted, I've voted for people I know. I've voted for people I have talked to, uh, you know, um, and, and really gotten a sense of who they are. That's a gift uh, that, you know, not every country has that, uh, a, a democracy like, like we do. And we have the right to, to, vote, to vote for our elected leaders. Yes. Um, so it is, it is not, um, and I know it's kind of a cliche, but it's it's a it's it's a it is a privilege to be able to vote. Uh, I think there's more to do than vote. I think I think we we need to be even more active, and we need to really get our hands dirty and dig into these projects. And that's the people I'm talking to on my podcast yeah. are the people who've said, I'm not just gonna I'm not taking anything away from voting, but getting more directly involved, directly involved in politics, but director directly involved in civic engagement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and policy work and and grassroots work is vitally important. And the thing that I find most encouraging is, I see that on the uptick. I I, I see yeah. that that is coming to the fore. And you've got um, these the the younger generations, you know, coming behind a, a Gen Xer like myself. These are some motivated folks that yeah, are like are. not taking <laughs> no for an answer, and they are not taking. Well, it's always been that way. Right. Uh, as the end of the story, no way that, you know, right. we are, we are having a, we are having way more than a moment about racial equality and equity in this country. And I find that unbelievably exciting, you know, uh, as, as, uh, as, a you know, gr- growing up and, and, and having the good fortune of having parents who, who raised me to, you know, uh, even though I'd hear the N word at school, you know, I, you know, my parents don't say that word, you know, like that's not, you know, my parents raised me to say, you know, God created us all uh, uh, equally. We all have equal dignity in God's eyes. And, you know, so, but of course we have to build on that. Right. So like the, 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 the kind of like um, forward thinking attitudes of the seventies and eighties uh, of my, of my parents was an update on, on, from where their parents came from and, and, you know, and the previous generations, but I'm saying, We've reached, uh, I think, I hope, I pray, you know, kind of a tipping point in the country um, where I think we will really start to go beyond the surface level discussions on race and, and, and get to 
deeper discussions and then action. Yeah. Uh, I took part in, in uh, the National Civil Rights Museum's uh, very first cohort of unpacking racism for action. Mm -hmm. um, hard conversations to have a, a, yeah. in, a, in a diverse setting. Uh, you know, as a white man, I have to face uh, that, that I have enjoyed white privilege. I, I have to face that there are structurally racist policies that give me an unfair advantage. Uh, and I have to say, that's not okay with me. I, I, I don't like to live in a world like that. What can I practically do to change those things? Yeah. So I think, I think America, again, I hope and pray that we're getting real about this. I, I see, yeah. I see more and, and, and you hate that it had to come from such a grotesque and awful uh, death like, uh, um, like George Floyd mm -hmm. and others. I, but I think, I think George Floyd was the one that like maybe pushed us over the top and it's, it's somewhat, you know, it's so, it was so excruciating to watch mm -hmm. that I don't think anybody can watch that and not be moved and say mm -hmm. something must change. So I think voting is 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 very important. It, but it's just one step in in a civic involvement, you know, ecosystem um, that involves us working on all these these other projects. Because like my project is tied to your project, is tied to, to Ted's project, is tied to Brittany's project in Orange Mound, yeah. and all of these causes are a patchwork um, that I would argue adds up to that ongoing redemptive work of the world that. Um, that God is doing, you know? Yeah. Um, so uh, I guess I'm tipping the thing here to say, <laughs> yeah, obviously I'm a person of faith, you know? So um, I, I, as much as people say, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. No, it's not, you know, it, right. it, it may look like that, but no, there is, there is, there is more goodness, you know, like you know, Dr. King, you know, the more larger the universe is longer it bends towards justice. It doesn't bend towards justice unless we take our, on our, our part to, to bend it our little bit, you know, yeah. or maybe even our big bit, you know, yeah. um, it, it, it's a, it's a long moral arc. And, and, and I think if you take, it, it's hard when you have the perspective of our relatively sh short lives uh, to see progress. You can see progress even within those, within our lives. But um, yeah. I just think that we, we may be, we may very well look back at 2020 as a, as a, as a critically important, year oh, where uh, as awful as it's been you know it's like people say oh there hasn't been this much activism in the country since since the 60s great that's great yeah. let's let's <laughs> let's let's, let's, make, let's make it more you know wow. and let's make it not surface yes. um so wow. i mean i'm excited because i believe that people deep down are good and i also am a believer that goodness will win out in the end and i think that's if true. we believe that then you can set about working on whatever it is you're working on, you know, but if to think otherwise, it's easy to kind of give over to defeatism. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, well, that's, that's disempowering. Yeah. And I want to be calling plays and moving down the field and <laughs> reopening the Coliseum and writing yes. books. And I don't know. Yes. That's what you're going to do, Marvin. Um, I, I hope so. so <laughs> and you know what? I would agree that we are definitely at a tipping point right now um, in the world. And 2020 has really 
shined a light on a lot of the things that, you know, we need to be working on, focusing on. Um, a lot of people are saying this is the worst year ever, but when you, when you really think about it, it has really, you know, shined a light on so many things that we're moving forward on as well. Right. So all at home in quarantine, really having the time to rest and recharge and really kind of think about the things that really matter right now. <clears throat> no, that's right. I'm, I'm reading a book real quick. I'm reading a book by Ryan Holiday called The Obstacle is the Way. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it wasn't his idea. He's actually quoting Marcus Aurelius from like, who lived in like, he was like what, a Greek emperor, Roman ruler in the year 150 or something. But his point is obstacles don't have to stop us, but the obstacle can point to exactly what we need to work on and the obstacle can become the way. And if you dedicate yourself to the long, slow slog of like a journey is going to take a long time, right? And, you know, Todd Richardson in the Crosstown Concourse, you know, seven years and people telling him he was crazy all along the arc. Same thing with us in the Coliseum. I think if you, if you dedicate or take an even longer process, the civil rights movement, right? You want to talk about a long, a long percolating journey. Um, the, the obstacle uh, becomes the way and it's like, it doesn't have to stay in your way as long as you, as we don't lose our cool and we say, well, what, what can we, can we, or maybe we do need to lose our cool, but what, and, and be, you know, right. Righteous indignation has its place, but you know, if we can learn from obstacles uh, and whatever gets thrown at us, if we say, all right, all right, what can we learn and how can we grow through that? I mean, I know that's been true uh, on my project uh, with the Coliseum is like, we've had all sorts of obstacles thrown in our way and we just kind of carefully worked through them. Yeah. And I think a lot of things, the, 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 the wider voice of pessimism and the, and our inner voice of doubt tries to tell us that things are hopeless when they're not, that we're smart enough to figure these things out. It just, it just takes time. You know, Rome yeah. wasn't built in a day, et cetera. That's true. That's true. Well, Marvin Stockwell, I appreciate you so much for coming on the Verbally Effective Podcast. Your journey is amazing. And the work that you do in this community is much appreciated. If no one has ever told you. you before, uh-huh. you know, we definitely appreciate you. And I can't wait for the Verbally Effective audience to hear your story and hear how you are a champion for, for this lost cause over here. But uh, yeah. And I can't wait for you to publish your book. I will definitely be purchasing your book, Mr. Stockwell. And well, I'll, I'll, I'll float you a review copy and you can yes, have me back on the show. Please, okay. yes, definitely. I want you to let everybody Sounds know good. how they can keep up with all of the work that you're doing and listen sure. to podcasts and all of that good stuff. Yeah, um, I you can connect with me on LinkedIn or, or on uh, Twitter. I'm just at Marvin Stockwell. Uh, but my uh, blog, where I've serialized a lot of the content that will ultimately end up in the book, is just championsofthelostcauses.org. And if you, uh, you can also check out my podcast on, on the OAM network, and it's also on all the different podcast platforms. But uh, the OAM network, uh, a local Memphis podcast network, is, uh, is where uh, I house my show. Um, and working with Gilworth and, and, and his, his team. So um, whether they check out the podcast or the blog or give me a shout on Twitter, yeah. uh, I would love to hear from folks. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Marvin. Um, thank you, enjoy man. the rest of your trip. I think you guys are going home today, right? 
we're going to stop off in Asheville, and then uh, my son Cormac has a cross-country meet in Knoxville. So wow, okay. got a little bit more to go. Yes. Well, enjoy, and thank you so much for being my guest for episode thank 140 you. of the Verbally Effective Podcast. Thank you so much.